Morning. 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 Uh, I'm just going to pray before I start, if that's all right. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that this morning we can come and worship you and praise you and just rest in you and know that we're going to hear from you. We're going to just um, allow ourselves to know that you really are our true hope uh, and the one that we look to for guidance in life and the one that guides us in life. And that whatever we're going through, we know that you're bigger than that situation. So this morning I pray that you'll just come and speak to us and allow us to feel your presence in a new uh, way and in an exciting way. Amen. So yeah, good morning and welcome. If you're visiting, it's great to have you. If you're new, it's great to have you. And if you've been here for seven years, it's also great to have you. I'm just going to tell you a bit this morning about what we're doing and the, what the plan is. Um, we're going to be looking through Galatians and carrying on our series in that. Um, because we as a church, um, we're a church that teach from the Bible. We believe that God's word is truth, and it's the one of the ways that God speaks to us today. It's powerful. God spoke everything into being, and it was there. There's so much power in his word. And then a friend of mine, Bev, who's part of the church, she's just going to come up and share a small part of her story, her testimony, how God healed her and changed her life forever and her family's life. Um, and then I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to come and minister to us, to talk to us. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Other names in the Bible explain him as Comforter. He is called to our side to walk with us, to comfort us. Also known as a guide. His role is to lead us and guide us in our lives. And another, another word used to explain the Holy Spirit is Intercessor refers to the Holy Spirit's role in communicating on our behalf, talking to God, speaking when we're unable to or we don't know what to say. So a few ways the Bible explains the Holy Spirit. He's an encounter with God. He is God's power. And the Holy Spirit comes in two key ways. He comes to remind you from the inside how much God loves you. He comes to empower you through life, the power of God in you. So this morning I say let our expectations be big because God is a big God and he wants to meet us right where we are this morning. I believe in healing today. I believe God talks to us in many different ways and today I believe people will experience the power of God through the comforter. I believe there are people here today. <coughs> he wants you to know that you're loved. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him personally. I believe there are people here today who require healing in many different forms and different ways, from ill health, from sickness, from addiction. God knows you, he loves you, and he knows right where you're at at this moment. And I don't want you to think, oh my goodness me, that sounds weird, he's going to invite the Holy Spirit, what's that all about? It's God, God is love. Everything we experience today will be the love of God, and his love is nuts, as we will see as we spend time together this morning. And so the message this morning is called, uh, well I've named it, God Faith gets us going, gets us through, and will get us home. A few years ago, I was working in a kitchen with an atheist, uh, a chap who didn't believe in God. We'll call him Nick, because that's the name his mother gave him. Um, <laughs> and uh, we would discuss God, we would discuss the Bible, we'd just talk about things of, of, of who God is. And, and often Nick would just say to me, what? I don't really get it. I don't know what you're saying. What you, I just don't get it. And then a church I belonged to at the time, they used to have men's breakfast once a month where they'd invite an influential Christian, whether it was in science and politics and sport, whatever it was. And this particular time, it was a scientist um, high up in the science world 
he was um, sharing his story about being a Christian and being a scientist, uh, and he was in the middle of Russia and just the, the, the stuff that happened in his life. So I thought, Nick likes science, he's that sort of guy, let's invite him. So we, we, uh, we went along one Saturday morning, and the scientist's talking, and I'm looking at Nick, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is so dull. Look at his face, he's just so uninterested. And then I heard God I- in me, I, I felt an impression, I just... You know when you know something's real, you fall over, you hurt your knee, you know you've hurt your knee. I just knew that I'd heard from God because God said, you've done your bit, let me do my bit. And as I heard him say that, all the anxiety and the anxiousness I was feeling, it just went, it just disappeared and I thought, that must be God. And from that time I relaxed and actually enjoyed listening to a scientist talking. But on the way home, um, I just turned to Nick and I said, How did, did you enjoy that? Was that good for you? What? And he was like, oh, it was really good, I loved it. It was really interesting, thanks for inviting me. Uh, and, and later on the course, the church did a course um, which Nick went to, and through that course, Nick became a Christian. He gave his life to Jesus, um, and a little bit of faith started everything in his life. As he continues to live his life with God today, he continues to live a life guided by God, and he remembers where his life started with God. Um, God is uh, with God, coming to where he was, having done nothing. He did nothing at all, and in our Bible passage this morning, we are looking at faith. Like Nick, got a little faith in God, and bam, his life changed and con- continues to change day in, day out. Um, so we're looking at Galatians, and Paul is a, Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, modern-day Turkey, and he's really angry. He's not happy at all. And there's a story in the Bible where Jesus walks into the temple, his father's house, and he has a righteous anger because there's people doing things in there that they shouldn't be, and he's flipping tables over, and he's just really angry, really angry. And I see that in Paul as he writes this letter. He's furious. There are Jewish teachers spreading a false gospel, deviating from the truth, the true word of God. They are basically calling Paul a liar and saying you have to do things to get right with God. Where Paul is saying Jesus has done it all. We don't need to do anything. Works or faith. So we're reading Galatians 3, 1 to 6. Um, I'm going to do it in the Amplified Bible, which is like a paraphrase slightly. And it says this, O you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would act like this, to whom right before your very eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in the gospel message? This is all I want to ask you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the requirements of the law, or was it the result of hearing the message of salvation and with faith believing it? Are you so foolish and senseless Having begun your new life by faith with the Spirit, are you now being perfected and reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh, that is, by your own works and efforts to keep the law? Have you suffered so many things and experienced so much all for nothing, if indeed it was all for nothing? So then, does he who supplies you with this marvellous Holy Spirit and works miracles among you do it as a result of the works of the law which you perform, or because you believe confidently in the message which you heard with faith? just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. O you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul straight in there confronting them like he did with Peter in Galatians 2. He's not messing around. And I was looking at this um, bit of scripture and the word bewitched was a word that really stuck out at me because I thought, I've never read that in the Bible before. And I, I haven't because it's the only time it's used in the Bible. Um, Paul felt so strongly that he was going, what was going on in the church, that he found a word to show how he felt. 
So a friend of mine, um, I spent some time with a while ago, and, and he was just sharing that he had had some bad news, um, and he was, uh, he was angry and upset about this news, so he swore. He, he used some language that he doesn't normally use to express how he was feeling, and as soon as he said those words, I was like, oh, get out of here. I, I understand where you're coming from. I know what you're saying. So bewitched. Paul goes outside of his normal vocabulary to find a word to describe how he's feeling, and the word isn't used anywhere else. And when it is used in daily life, I think it's used in the bad sense. So what does it mean? Well, some of the words associated with bewitched are lies, deception, false promises. It's a word related to magic spells and sorcery and the demonic. So it's a pretty serious word. It's not a a flimsical word. It's a real in-your-face hard word. And it's only used once. And it's not aimed at people who don't believe in God. It's aimed at Christians, churchgoers, believers. It's like they have been bewitched, not by magic spells or sorcery, but by false doctrine. Why would they be bewitched? Why were they, and why are we susceptible to that today? In all ages of the church, there has been bewitched believers, and that continues today. Because we have an enemy, the Bible calls him the devil, or the accuser. He's the father of lies. Now, most people have heard of Oprah Winfrey. She's a chat show host in America. Um, and she interviews everyone that's famous, I think. Famous politicians, film stars, sports stars, even famous celebrity pastors. And in one of her interviews with a really known well leader in the church, Oprah Winfrey asked this question to this, this really well-known and respected pastor. Is it only through Jesus Christ that I can get to heaven? Which the answer is yes. But in Acts 4... In the Bible, it says the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. So any well-known, respected pastor will know that, yes, the answer is yes. Um, I know that, and I'm not even a pastor. But the well-known, respected church leader said, no, it's not the only way. It doesn't matter who we are or what position we hold, but he was bewitched. He strayed from God's word. And bewitching is always a deviation from the true gospel. And as Jez has mentioned in the series of Galatians, we can do church, we can do what we want, but when it comes to the gospel, the God, word of God's word, we don't change it. It's the truth, we mustn't. So what does that look like for you, for me, and for the church? Well, I found a way to make sure that I'm not bewitched. I read my Bible as much as I can. I pick it up often, and I just every time I pick it up, I just I say, Holy Spirit, you wrote this book, and you're in me, so please just share your truth with me. Speak to my heart. Allow me to know what you're saying. And I know that God's word is so powerful my mind's in a positive frame of mind, and I'm open to hearing what Jesus is saying and wants to say, because I know he's going to speak to me through it. And in verse 2 it says, This is all I want to ask of you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit as a result of obeying the law, the requirements, or was it a result of hearing the message of salvation in faith and believing it? Did you do something to become a Christian, or was it by hearing the gospel of Jesus, the word of God? So faith gets us going. In verse 2, Paul asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit? What does that mean, did you receive the Holy Spirit? When I became a Christian, I was living for me, doing what I wanted to do, when I wanted, with whom I wanted, wherever I wanted. Independence on me, not dependence on Jesus. I was selfish. My life was about me. Like an addiction leads to having everything focused on the thing you're addicted to as your main priority, Let's just say I was addicted to myself. But what I really want to share this morning is this. My mum used to ask, ask me quite often, do you want to come to church? And I'd say no. But on this morning, she said, do you want to come to church? And I thought, do you know what? 
to get you off my back? I'm going to say yes. So I did. I went along. And I don't really remember what was said. I don't remember where I sat. I don't, know, I don't know who was speaking. I don't remember anything. But all I do remember is coming home, kneeling beside my bed, and saying, Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you defeated death and sin, that you're seated at Father's right hand in heaven. Come into my life and forgive me. I'd heard the truth. I'd heard the gospel of Jesus, and he found me. And I received my comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the change in me was nuts. You know, straight away, it wasn't me, me, me anymore. Jesus had come into my life, and now it was Jesus, you, you, you. My life changed so dramatically that our next-door neighbor asked my mum, what's happened to Ross? Who is he? Is he still your son? Um, just to say through the Holy Spirit coming into my life and changing me from the inside out, our next-door neighbor gave her life to Jesus shortly before she passed away. And it isn't anything I did. I didn't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. Faith got me going. And faith gets us through, too. So in verse 2, it's showing the Galatians why their actions contradicted the work of the Comforter in their lives. Paul reminded them how they began the Christian life through faith and hearing the gospel, God's word. Then, Paul tells them in verse 3, and you have to keep going the same way you began. Are you foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now ending or being completed in the flesh? The clear implication is it can't be done. So what does Paul mean when he says the flesh? It sounds like you're at a butcher's looking at just chunks of meat. So in the flesh, he says, it's a part of us that doesn't want to be told what to do. It's stubborn. It doesn't want to, do it doesn't want to have anything or do anything with God. It is a confidence in self. I can look at myself. I can do, my, I can do things myself. It's the opposite of faith because God, faith in God is seen as a weakness. But the whole point of faith is to stand here. I am weak and I need God. I need him to help me. I need him to get me through my life. I can't do it on my own. I've tried living for myself and that turned out really badly. So Paul says, again in verse 3, like I've just said, you have to keep going the same way you begun. Are you foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now ending or being completed in the flesh? Living life for yourself, the clear implication is it can't be done. If you try it, you'll make a shipwreck of your life like I did. After about a year of becoming a Christian, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't soak up on the truth of it. But I didn't have anyone at church encouraging me or telling me to do that either. So the world became attractive again. And my battle would be I have to strive to do things in order to gain God's love and acceptance. We need to encourage one another in walking in the Lord so we keep him close. Jesus came and said, Ross, here I am. Here's my comforter to guide you and love you. Nah, thanks, I said. I can do it all on my own. Why would I need you? But why did that happen to me? Why does it happen to you? And why did it happen in the church? Well, Paul talks a lot in his other letters to the church about a renewed mind. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, other letters to the church. We need to have a renewing of the mind. Christianity is about clear thinking, being soaked in scripture and God's word. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is a renewed mind? The more we read the Bible and learn what God's truth is, the more it helps us to renew our minds. So when I pray for someone who's sick and nothing happens, my, my flesh reaction, myself, my stubbornness is, I didn't think it would happen, I'm not going to do that again. But now I've read the Bible and I've read that Jesus healed the sick. I've also read that I'm supposed to be like Jesus. And I've also read that it says, if you lay your hands on the sick, they'll be healed. So my choice, because we always have one, is let my mind tell me 
you didn't heal them, or remind my mind that in the ho- it's the Holy Spirit who heals through me, and it is about being obedient to what I've read, to live by faith and truth, not by feelings and flesh, self. So the renewed mind is a choice to choose Jesus and what I have read in the Bible. I can choose to go that way, or I can choose to go the wrong way. So let's just get into the word and let it help you think differently. Let it renew your mind. So when the self part of you kicks in, you're, you already have the truth in you from reading that allows you to say no to self and yes to truth, no to lies and yes to God's word. In Romans 8, verse 7, it says, The mind that is set on the flesh, on self, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It can't. Flesh is the autonomous self. It is getting your confidence in yourself and what you do. So in love with its personal power of self-determination that it does not and cannot submit to God's absolute authority. That's a bit scary. And uh, verse 3, it says, Are you so foolish and senseless, having begun your new life by faith with the Spirit? Are you now being perfected and reaching spiritual maturity by the flesh? That is, by your own works and efforts to keep the law. And it's not directed at those who are yet to start the Christian life. It's written for us who've begun the Christian life some time ago and are now in grave danger of trying to live a life, uh, a Christian life in a way that nullifies grace and leads to destruction. The point of the verse is that you must go on in the Christian life the same way you started it, completely dependent on Jesus. Since we've begun by the work of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, we must go on relying on the Comforter, not ourselves. Faith is the only response to God's word, which makes room for the comforter to work in us and through us. The flesh, the self, on the other hand, is a self-determining ego, which is religious people's response to God's word, not with reliance on the Holy Spirit, but with reliance on self. Jesus died on the cross so we could be set free from ourselves. And we've looked at how faith gets us going and gets us through by reading God's word and focusing on him. But how does it get us home? In verse 4, Paul says, Have you suffered so many things and experienced so much all for nothing, if indeed it was all for nothing? Have all your experiences been in vain? It wasn't all for nothing. Faith will get you home. Because God is faithful and he won't abandon us. He finishes what he starts. He is the shepherd who doesn't abandon his sheep. The father who never walks out. (laughs) And looking at God's character, it's amazing. He never changes. He is the absolute truth. God knows everything. God is holy. God is all-powerful. God is present everywhere. God is just and merciful. God is love. God is the faithful husband caring for his bride. The experience of God's continuous and generous supply of his comforter to the Galatians is linked with his work to miracles in their lives. Though Paul anticipates that the Holy Spirit will work in their lives from the inside out, in those led by the Comforter, his focus here is primarily on the outward ways of the Comforter's presence in miracles. A review of God's gracious work among his people by the Holy Spirit releases us from religious performance. It's God's performance, it's not ours. It must be the object of our faith and hope. And looking back on my life, in those times I see how God has still steered my life for his glory. My sin was great, but his grace is far greater. And I pray often for my family members when they're sick. I don't always get the results I want, but God is in control. I pray for my amazing dad to be healed from Alzheimer's, but today he hasn't been. 
but I do have comfort knowing that my dad is a believer in Jesus. And although I know and believe with all my heart my dad can be healed, I don't know why he isn't, but that's God's bit to understand, not mine. He's God, I'm not. But I'm not going to let that stop me praying. I won't let that affect me. I read and see and understand what the Bible tells me. God is love. So, a story of choice, a story of a renewed mind, living as God intends me to live, helped me when I had an opportunity to pray for someone who I was working with. I could have thought, last time I prayed for someone or my dad, nothing happened, I'm not going to do that again. But because I live by faith and not by feelings, I'm not going to allow my past experiences, my feelings to tell me who I am. I remembered in the Bible it said, lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed. So I prayed for an atheist, another one, someone who didn't even believe in Jesus, to be healed in Jesus' name for his dermatitis all over his red, raw, sore, itchy hands to go in Jesus' name. And the next week I came back to work and he showed me his hands exactly the same. I thought, I'm not having this, I'm not having this. So I said, can I pray for you again? He's like, yeah. So I just grabbed his hands and said, be healed in Jesus' name. Dermatitis, get lost in Jesus' name. That's what I did. And then I didn't work with him for four or five weeks because of one thing and another. And then when we were working again together and he was washing up in the sink as he did, he wasn't wearing gloves. And I was like, that's unusual. And I said, dude, what's up? What's going on with your hands? Are they not sore? Why, why aren't you wearing gloves? And he's like, no, look. And the, the words of an atheist, not mine, were, he said, your Jesus has healed me. An atheist, a person who didn't believe in God, but now experiencing the power of God. Through a renewed mind, I chose to try and live like Jesus did. I remembered that the Bible says, I said, I remember what the Bible said and I had to step out in faith and pray. And today that young man believes in a Jesus of the Bible who does miracles today just as he did 2,000 years ago. That is the power of the comforter in us. The importance of living a life full of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, in order to show and tell people our greatest story, Jesus Christ. Life throws so many distractions and lies at us, but we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus and read and pray as often as we can so that we're full of him, full of the truth. So when in our lives we hear false teachings, we are not bewitched because we know the truth and the truth sets you free, free from yourself. And in verse five it says this, so then, does he who supplies you with his marvelous Holy Spirit and works miracles among you do it as a result of the works of the law which you perform or because you believe confidently in the message which you heard with faith. So I'm just going to um, ask Bev to come up and join me. Um, and she's just going to share a bit of a story of, of, of how God's moved and done amazing things in her life. And then I'm just going to pray and ask the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come and see what he wants to do among us this morning. Many of you may already know that I suffered with ME and fibromyalgia for 28 years and I had to be pushed around in a wheelchair to get out and about in the last 14 years of my illness as the pain was just constant and walking was very difficult. It was only in the last 10 months I've actually been able to come to church. One of my worst symptoms was brain fog where I just couldn't cope with noise, conversation, light um, and I became very isolated and I just got to the point where I just became very unwell and it was very hard to function mentally or physically. Life was a real struggle. I spent a lot of my days just in bed and very often in a darkened room. 
and I got to the point where my doctor and consultant had given up on me and just said, basically, you have to learn to live with it. So I reached rock bottom and I realised that I'd been putting all my faith in doctors and not God. And it was only God who could get me out of this mess. And I cried out to him in desperation and said, God, I know I've done wrong by listening to doctors and you're the only one that can sort this. And that was the point that everything started to change. I then began to sense God talking to me and he told me that he was going to heal me, but I had to be patient. And a while later, he led me to some Christians who, to cut a very long story short, started to pray for me over some weeks and I started to experience freedom. And the first thing that went was my brain fog and to be able to think clearly and hold conversations with my children and my family was just amazing. And it was two weeks before Christmas last year that I was actually healed um, of ME and fibromyalgia. Someone prayed and I felt a tingling go through my body from the top of my head right through to my toes and I knew immediately that something had changed and I was healed. It's been an amazing and a roller coaster journey at times, physically and emotionally since, and I've had to cling on to the promises of God, but he's so clearly been telling me that you are healed, and what I'm doing now is restoration. And restoration is when you may have had like a major op, a big heart op, and initially the problem is solved, but it would take your body time to recuperate, so you wouldn't be out chopping logs for a while after a big heart op. It takes time to actually um, repair. So my multiple food intolerances that once ruled my life has gone. I've made huge steps forward to the point where Carl remarked a couple of weeks ago that I'm now back, now back to how I was when he first met me, that bubbly, confident person. This made me realise just how much the enemy has stolen from me over the last 28 years. But the reward for me now, which I wouldn't change for anything, is a deeper, more personal relationship with Jesus to the point now where I want to submit every area of my life to him. At the beginning of the year at a church prayer meeting, Carl was given a word of knowledge by Rob that this year for us would be a year of miracles. Rob didn't know at that point that I had been healed and it truly has been a year full of miracles for us both and it continues to be and the year isn't over yet. To those who struggle with health issues, I would say never lose hope or give up on God. Even when you don't feel him there with you, I can tell you he is and things can turn around when you least expect it. Wow. Thanks, Bev. That's great. That's really encouraging. The power of God is incredible. So can we all just stand for those that are able, please? I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, comforter, thank you that we know that you're alive today and well and that you're in our lives, that you are our great true hope. And we just thank you for the encouraging stories and amazing things that you do in our life. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, comforter, come now and just fill this place with you. Allow us to experience you in, in many different ways. We just thank you that you love us and that you were made for us and to work in us. So just come, Holy Spirit, and have your way, I pray.